Well, good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRNAM for Monday, December 19th, 2022. And our top story today, U.S. sustainable investments fall 51%. Joining me now to discuss this and a lot more is Bob Colley of Colley ESG. Bob, it's great to see you again. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Uh, not a problem. Always a pleasure. Yeah, and then literally it's just popping. We just pop on with, with Zoom. Um, Bob, let's talk about You know, with you, you had this broad experience, you know, working in research with asset managers, but now you're devoted to sustainable investing in ESG. And it seems here in the States that U.S. sustainable investing has, by all measures, has declined significantly since 2020. First, there's a lot you can do with statistics, but what do you just make take away from that number of declining 51 percent? Well, that's that's. That's not a decline in the level. That's a decline in how much is going in. So, okay. and, and there's no question it, it's it, it's not as hot as it was. So so it's still still growing um, as, as far as we can tell from the numbers. Um, but certainly that kind of avalanche of interest that we had two or three years ago um, has, has slowed down. So it's coming off record levels of inflow, still positive. That said, um, and, and shifting now from the numbers to more anecdotally, um, I, as you say, I travel backwards and forwards between the UK and the US, and I've got strong connections to both. And if you go back two or three years, I was surprised, having spent so long in the US, been away for a little bit, come back to see how much this had gone forward, how much interest there was at all levels. So this was at the retail level, the individual investors, also the institutional level, the pension funds and so on, very, very high interest. And and so it had kind of, there'd been this spurt over a period um, that was a lot quicker than I'd expected. Now, when I go back, I'm kind of surprised in the other direction. There has been something of a backlash. Um, so there's a lot of people still very positive, a lot of people looking at it very closely. Um, but there, there's certainly been a, a um, an, an element of, of negativity for in, in some parts about it, which has really muddied, muddied the water. So, so I think, yes, um, it's definitely something which is now a more complicated picture than the very simple picture we had two years ago of it was a hot area with a lot of interest. Yeah. And Bob, is it similar? I want, I want to talk about Netflix for a second because analysts say Netflix is not growing. The number of subscribers is down. But is it just the reality when you look at Netflix, everybody who's using streaming or, or is committed to streaming and, and has adopted streaming uh, is pretty much a Netflix customer. So they're now looking. It's a lot harder, I guess, in terms of economies of scale to, to continue to grow when there aren't as many subscribers out there. So is it very similar with sustainable investing? We know that there are endowments, there are foundations, there are pension funds. Um, all around the world who are adopting this. And it's just a function of getting retail investors and others maybe on board. So the, the adoption rate isn't as high because of you know, that same principle. There, there, I, I think that certainly is, is part of the story that, that you know, when, when something is growing really, really quickly, nothing can grow phenomenally fast forever. Right? You, you hit limits somewhere along the line. So, so there is, 
there is an element of that. But as I say, I think there, there are also new considerations coming in. The, the US in particular, um, some of these issues really bleed over into the political polarization that you have, and it starts to kind of hit people's hot buttons and so on, which, which you know is a positive um, in, with, with some people and can be a negative um, with others as far as sustainable investing goes. So, so I think the, it's not quite as simple as this reversion to the mean or hitting the limits that you're talking about, but that is definitely part of the story. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you were able to cite the correct um, economic uh, term. I, you know, obviously yeah. I'm not an economist. Uh, Bob, here in the States, as I'm sure you're aware, we've got some new Department of uh, Labor regulations around ESG. You talked about some of the politics. We're not going to talk about that because that's not going to do you, I, or the network any any good. Uh, we can't affect that. But these new regs, I mean, does that potentially help with getting over the hump, at least justifying for these fiduciaries to say, hey, you can use these non-pecuniary uh, pecuniary factors in, in selecting investments? Yes, I, I think there was certainly until those regulations were finalized, um, fiduciaries would have been a little bit cautious about taking any action. And, and don't, don't forget that with a fiduciary, the key is you're acting on behalf of somebody else. Yep. If, if I'm investing my own money and, and I have a preference for, you know, I might be you know, anti-gun control, I might be um, pro-gun control, but whichever side I'm on, if I want to invest in line with that view, there's no issue because it's my money. If I'm a fiduciary for somebody else's money, that becomes much, much more difficult to do. I, I, I have to set aside personal preferences and just look at um, the financial implications of it. So what was happening with the regulations before is fiduciaries were very concerned about even taking into account financial implications of some of these factors because it might be perceived as being them acting on their own interests and so on. So, so these new regulations kind of clear the way for fiduciaries to take account of these factors in a financial sense. So, so you've kind of got this level playing field now, but there's certainly no obligation on them to start following any particular agenda in, in either direction. So, so we've got a reasonably clean landscape now with the new regulations. And so um, it'll be interesting to see how people react to that, whether they say, well, you know, we're going to take a lot more account of these factors or, or whether it turns out to be an on-event. We'll, we'll wait and see on that one. Bob, last question for this segment. How, do, how does this, these numbers, how do these numbers, my English is not good on a Friday morning, how are these numbers as it relates to Europe? Um, are European contributions at a higher rate um, or, you know, some of these other countries? How does the U.S. compare to its uh, its peers? So, so the U.S. is... is I, I hate to generalize about the US uh, because anything that you say about the US that's true of the average kind of disguises the fact that there's some phenomenal kind of outliers in both directions. You've got this huge kind of variation diversity within the US in, in so many ways. And so um, that said, when it comes to sustainable investing, overall, the US has not adopted it quite as much as other parts of the world, especially over here in Europe. Um, and so I, I, I think that countries here are further down that cycle of, of, of adoption. Um, so it, it, the flows are slowing down somewhat here as well, because you know, nothing grows forever. Um, and so the, there's different issues here. But, but certainly, yes, the U.S. is not the, uh, is not the early adopter on this particular trend.
Well, thanks, Bob. I want to take a quick break, and I'm, I'm so happy I learned relearned reversion to the mean. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> we come back. Question. We'll talk about whether your fund manager, are they devoted to sustainable investing? We're going to break it down, talk a little bit about it. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Tax audits, tax liens, wage garnishments. Every day we hear stories like this about good folks who are simply struggling to pay their bills. Each of them are living a frightening IRS tax nightmare and they are afraid it will destroy their lives. I'm a divorced single mom and my ex-husband left me and the kids with a lot of unpaid bills, including unpaid taxes. I was really starting to show my stress on my kids because the IRS had sent me a letter demanding a huge payment from me. I couldn't afford it. So then the IRS was threatening to garnish my wages. I'm already living paycheck to paycheck. That would have put me over the edge financially. It truly seemed hopeless, but then a friend at work told her to call the tax relief line. The people at the tax relief line, they told me about something called innocent spouse relief. They worked it out so that all of the taxes from my ex are not my problem. I don't know how that works and, and I don't care. All I care about is that I don't owe the IRS a dime and they are not going to take my paycheck. Even if it seems hopeless, you should call the number on your screen right now. There is absolutely no cost for the call or the consultation. You are under no obligation. If you are worried that the IRS could garnish your wages, seize your assets, even take your home, call us right now. The tax relief line is here to help you. Now you have a knowledgeable, professional team of tax experts that are ready to negotiate with the IRS and fight for you to save you money. 
The tax relief line's professionals have successfully negotiated thousands of cases, reducing and sometimes even eliminating the tax debt for their clients. It's very easy to get started. Simply call the number on your screen right now. You don't have to live in fear anymore. The call and the consultation are free. Well, Bob, thanks as always for sticking around with us for segment number two. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's great talking to you as always. Uh, yeah, well, it's great to reach into that brain of yours and pull out all this important information and get your perspective because you obviously are a seasoned veteran in, in this business. Bob, let's talk about how devoted fund managers are to sustainable investing. And, you know, Morningstar, this is based on a Morningstar piece that was put out. Um, I want to get your perspective. How committed, you know, that you, we talked about flows. And by all accounts, flows are still pretty good. They're just not what they were in 2020. But, um, that, you know, this is a, a new niche, a new market. How committed are fund managers to sustainable investing? I, they're all over the place. And the, the, I think, again, when you go back to when this was the hot thing and everybody was interested, at that stage, every manager was reacting as this is a, a market necessity for us to have something. And so it kind of you got the good and the bad there. You, you, you had people who were building solid products with a clear purpose and, and they knew what they were doing. And others maybe were just along for the ride trying to, to come up with something that they thought might sell because this was the hot new trend. And, and as the market cools down a little bit and as investors get a little bit more savvy and as we see research of this type, which, you know, it's fantastic to see people starting to look below the surface and, and, and ask some, some slightly more searching questions of managers. As that happens, the market shakes out and you start to realize, well, here are the products that are really competitive in this space and, and there will be the ones that fall by the, by the wayside. That's how competitive markets work, right? You know, some, some products win and some of them turn out not to be quite of the, the caliber we need. So, so this is, um, yeah, certainly those questions are starting to be asked and we're starting to see more of this type of analysis and that's a good thing. And Bob, I, Morningstar is probably one of the most well-known analytical firms in terms of judging the mutual fund and the investment industry, not judging, but, you know, providing analytics. But commitment, that's very subjective, right? I mean, Bob, I, you know, I'm committed to working out, um, but yeah. sometimes I just don't do it. And, and um, you know, how do you, how do you measure commitment? Because I, I would say that any fund manager is looking for flows and they, first of all, they want to do the right thing, which is lower the carbon emissions, help the planet. Um, but how do you measure that commitment? I think that's a challenging thing for even a well-known and uh, well-experienced firm like Morningstar. It, it is. And um, there is, we're still at the stage where, and maybe we'll always be, um, somewhat dependent on that subjective analysis where you're looking at something and say, does this hold up? Is it consistent with um, what, what, what you're doing elsewhere? So there, there are some quantitative factors that you can take into account. Are they signed up to certain um, commitments? Have they got resources on this? What are the policies? Um, and that sort of quantitative data-based analysis will take you a certain way. And, and as more data becomes available, um, and as the products become better defined, uh, maybe that starts to become more possible. I, I think on that question, as, as, as you're suggesting, of are they really committed or is this window dressing? Um, I, I believe there's always going to be a, an element of subjectivity behind reaching that judgment on people. In the end, the, you know, the truth comes out, you know, the end norms do eventually collapse in on themselves. 
um, but sometimes you can't tell from the outside um, until that's quite close to happening. So, um, yeah, the, the analysis will take you a certain amount of the way, um, but it's this is this is as much art as science. Yeah, and, and I can't think of anything in the world that is black and white, zero or one, right? I mean, it's just there's not a lot of things, especially when it comes to investing and you get to more sophisticated investing. You really can't just put it in a framework of this is good, this is bad, and you're committed, yes, no, or maybe. I, I just don't think that that's possible in the investment world. Uh, yeah. But if you're if you're a retail investor, and, and let's talk about them for a second, because I think, again, like their institutional brethren, they are committed. They want to do the right thing. They want to write a, a planet that's around for their children, grandchildren, their grandchildren's grandchildren, et cetera. Um, but, but when there's so much data flowing, and it's really hard to get that data and hard to make a decision, it kind of, you know, you get, you get the old ostrich in the sand, right? It's like, how do you make a decision? Oh, that's too much information. It's too much to compute. Uh, we're back to that same decision-making um, phenomena again. Yeah, that, that is, that, that's true. I, I, I wouldn't take away from that. You throw your hands up in the air and, and give up um, because there is some data. The data is not perfect. You, you can't necessarily tell who are the, the firms that are absolutely at the top and, and who are absolutely the worst. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't know a reasonable amount. And again, you know, this analysis, as you say, that Morningstar have put out, um, and I'm sure there'll be others that are doing other types of analysis. You know, the, the, the firms that are consistently at the top of the ratings versus the ones which are consistently at the bottom, that's a real difference. You know, any one survey may have got some things wrong, and I'm, I'm sure everybody in the survey who's not at the top rating will argue that, well, you've misunderstood us and we should be at least one level higher up. But the reality is that once enough of this analysis is being done, it does tend to home in on who the who the leaders are, who are the average firms and and, and who are the laggards. And, and to be fair to the, the asset management community, there are some quite difficult decisions to be made here, but both in terms of how you act and, and in terms of how you position yourself um, in that you can go your right firms want to do the right thing. They want to be good corporate citizens and, and that will show itself in lots of ways. Um, but how far do you want to push out in that direction? Do you want to be just with the pack or do you want to be seen as a leader? Not everybody's going to reach the same conclusion as, as to how to run their business. And, and that does leave the consumer with choices to make. Yeah. Yep. And, and it's going to be interesting, Bob, uh, just to kind of pull it all together. We've got a new Congress in January here in the States that may change some things and, and, and change the perception a little bit, maybe not a lot, leading into uh, uh, the rest of 2023 and into 2024. Bob, we're going to have to leave it there. Always a pleasure to get your insight. I wish I could spend hours talking or actually you talking, me listening. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the time. Thanks so much for joining us and we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon, my friend. I look forward to it. Thanks, Jeff. That wraps up this episode of the RNAM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest security news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, and all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, or visit our website, and of course, all of our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRNAM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.
Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.